Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. Um, I've been a Christian for quite some time, uh, since the age of 11. I don't come from a Christian home, um, as many of you know, so I didn't grow up going to church. I was dragged to the occasional church parade, which is boring, frankly, and, uh, and I couldn't wait to get out of there. The weird man at the front, little did I realize that one day I would become the weird man at the front. <laughs> what are you laughing for? <laughs> but, it, but it's a strange old world, isn't it? And I, became, I asked Jesus into my life when I was 11 years old, and uh, the last 33 years have uh, been... Uh, life lived to the full, and I thank God every day uh, for his grace and his love over me and my life. But the one thing that's amazed me most over the 33 years I've been a follower of Jesus Christ, and 23 years or thereabouts in church ministry in one form or another, is just how wonderful God is, and how relevant his word is, and how timely uh, the Bible is. When I say God's word, I mean the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, the 66 books, how relevant and timely God's word often is for world events and personal situations. In the last couple of months, I've seen both at work powerfully. How you just seem to open a a story or a verse and you think, wow, that's for me or that's for some other person. I'm going to share that with them. And God's Word is a living book. The Bible isn't just some dead bit of philosophy. We're not stupid. Uh, As Christians, we don't just follow anything because it sounds nice. Uh, There's lots of moral teachings you could hang your life on. But the Word of God is saying deeper. God teaches us about not just how to live well, but how to die well, how to live for eternity, how to be forgiven for our sin, how to be made brand new on the inside out. And his word speaks into uh, our broken world and our broken lives. Um, in January, I'm sure you all remember, I did a series of talks from the book of Psalms, which is about in the middle of the, your Bible, and a selection of songs that they used in the temple in various times in the Old Testament, the book, the nation of Israel. And at the end of that series, I wanted to do something more practical, um, and I gave it a working title, The Things Jesus Said, or Things Jesus Said. Um, and I was going to make it practical, you know, how to deal with relationships and forgiveness and money and whatever it, whatever that might have come to mind. But for some strange reason I could not for the life of me come up with a good series under that title just to be clear that's not God's fault that's my fault there was not it's not a lack of material uh, by the way because every word Jesus said is radical and amazing but I kept kind of coming back to the Beatitudes which we've been looking at uh, for the last couple of weeks these uh, these sort of strange almost poetic uh, phrases about how to be how to be one of God's people what God kind of expects us on the terms of our attitude and living this life and I didn't really want, if I'm honest, I didn't really want to do the Beatitudes. I shouldn't say that. Um, because it, feel, it felt like the kind of go-to place. You go, everyone does the Beatitudes, and everyone likes the Beatitudes. It's a safe bet. But nevertheless, I kept coming back to it. And I asked a few people, and I said, am I going crazy? Should I be doing the Beatitudes or something more practical? And everybody said, no, I think the Beatitudes makes a lot more sense. And I didn't know why we should do this series until today. Today, I think, as we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, I think we see just why these Beatitudes are so relevant for what's going on in the Ukraine and across many other parts of our world, sadly. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. But if not, um, various things appear on the screen behind me. I forget what I prepare on a Friday afternoon, slide-wise, so don't worry. Um, Things will be on there. But this Beatitude, which I read now, I think could not be more relevant this morning. and I'm so pleased that God uh, comes against my will uh, to lead me to where he wants us to speak and look at. So this is what verse 5 of chapter 5 of Matthew says. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Just one little phrase. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. These beatitudes, as I said, are kind of attitudes for the coming kingdom of God. This world is passing away. We invest so much time and effort into this world that is temporary, that is dying in front of us. But God's kingdom is coming and he will rule in that kingdom for eternity. And these beatitudes are like Jesus saying to us, this is how you're supposed to behave, not in this world, but as if that world is already here because it's coming and God is going to be king over every one of us. God is going to rule this world forever and ever ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. So this is how you ought to behave as if God's already fully realized his rule on earth. That that beatitude and all of them, in fact, that we've been looking at and we're going to carry on looking at, really stands in direct contrast to the philosophies that we see being played out on a daily basis across our world and particularly in the Ukraine this morning. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. What Jesus said there is in direct contrast to the philosophy of a man like Vladimir Putin, a man who seems to have convinced himself over many years that the former USSR states are his rightful inheritance and his rightful inheritance alone. A man who seemingly believes that to gain his inheritance as he sees it, He then, therefore, has the right to grab and invade and ultimately kill to take what he thinks is his. Gavin Culver, a man that runs the Evangelical Alliance, you may not be familiar with him, but don't worry, just a group of Christians, an umbrella organization, famously once said that as Christians, we have managed to take the most dynamic person in the world, Jesus, and make him boring. Shame on us. Actually, shame on us for doing that, and we all have done that. Today, when we hear this, that one little phrase, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, you begin to see just how radical Jesus of Nazareth was and is and will always be. As we watch the disaster of this war play out on our television screens, on our social media, day after day after day, it's here that we realize the danger of ignoring the words of God's one and only Son. That when human beings say, no thanks, I can be king of my own life, it all just goes horribly wrong, either on a big scale or just internally with the battles we face and the struggles we have. Why do human beings seek treasures of a world that's falling apart when they should be investing in the coming kingdom of God? So this passage, I'll read it again. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I wonder what your take on it is as I say that. I wonder if you're thinking it's a bit weak. It sounds weak, doesn't it? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It doesn't make any sense, perhaps. This is actually the one beatitude of all of them that I think is seen mistakenly as the weakest of all of them. You see, the others can be said by a strong person. A strong person can be pure in heart. A strong person could be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says. You can carry a gun and be a peacekeeper for the UN. It's got an image of strength about it. All of the other ones can be said by the strong. But this one is almost a command to be gentle, a command to be soft. The call to weakness, uh, meekness is a struggle for many, many people. And so for many people, when they read verse 5, they read it as a weak thing. In fact, they associate the two words. I've already made the mistake already. They associate the word meekness with weakness. And many people, when they speak of Christians, will say 
They're weak. They're only Christians because they need a spiritual crutch to rest on because they're not mature enough or strong enough or self-confident enough to go through this life on their own. We say, no, no, no. No one is strong enough to go through this life on their own. You're just kidding yourself. It's not a crutch. It's a hope. And it's a God. And it's a shepherd. And he's a king who has given me inheritance that is safe forever. Is this the weakest beatitude? Is meekness weakness? No, not at all. The word meekness doesn't mean weakness. It means humility. Jesus is saying, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Who are the humble? Well, one quote I read this week said this, the humble are those who do not assert themselves over other people in order to further their own agendas in their own strength. Who are the humble? Those who do not assert themselves over others in order to further their own agendas in their own strength. How opposite the world is so often. Lord, may humility be in the hearts of the people in the Kremlin. Lord God, may the humility be in the hearts of our own government. Father God, may this humility be in the hearts of every single one of us in this room. Can you imagine a world where people were truly humble, where we put other people's needs before our own, where we didn't push our agenda at the expense of other people's well-being to get what we want, regardless of the cost? Isn't that what's happening in the Ukraine? He wants, so he will kill and destroy until he gets. So is this the weakest beatitude? I say no. I think this is the most powerful of all of Jesus' beatitudes. And I'll tell you why. Remember, this, uh, the world is upside down. Jesus' teaching often presents as wrong way round thinking. Love your enemy. Go the extra mile. Give to those who ask. It sounds stupid. Why would you do that? If someone says, give me a tenner, you wouldn't say, here's 20 quid. Why would you do that? If someone slaps you like that, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. What an idiot. Who does that? Why would you do that? That's stupid in the world's eyes. The world says, that's stupid. You don't do that. You're a fool. But we forget, and the world doesn't realize that it's upside down. Jesus' teaching is right side up. The things he teaches are the only way of making this world better and making our lives better. You see, in God's kingdom, actually, it's the humble who are strong. You see, in God's kingdom, it's the proud who are considered weak and are brought low by their actions. In the Old Testament, God speaks over and over and over about exalting the humble and those who seek the good of others, but bringing down and standing against those who are proud and arrogant and self-assured. Because if you're those things, then you're anti-God. You're saying, God, I don't need you, I need me. Whereas the humble say the very opposite thing. So how could humility be powerful? How can meekness inherit the earth? Well, in of itself, being humble does nothing. Humility won't stop Russian tanks rolling through Kiev. Of course it won't. But that's not the point Jesus is making. It's not the quality in the person that's powerful. But it's what humility does to the person that brings its power. You see, when you're humble, it repositions your trust and your priorities. And there is where the power really is. What I discovered this week from uh, this, this beatitude, verse 5 of chapter 5 of Matthew, is that actually Jesus is quoting a well-used phrase in the Old Testament. 
The meek will inherit the earth, or the meek will inherit the land. And I hadn't really put two and two together, and really thought about it for a while. And I reread it and restudied it, and I thought, oh, wow, that's incredible. Jesus actually quotes, seemingly quotes, a phrase used in Psalm 37. A psalm, a song, titled, Do Not Be Envious of Evildoers. And in this psalm, two or three times, uh, David writes, the, the meek, the weak will inherit the land. It's a phrase taken from the Old Testament, and Jesus kind of repackages it here. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This psalm is where the, this beatitude takes us to. We're taken back to this song sung two and a half or so thousand years ago by God's people. A song that provides the context for the power of humility. This psalm that I'm about to read to you is both timely, powerful, and full of hope. You see, humility is about trust. You see, in humility, I recognize my weakness. I recognize more than that, that my strength is actually weakness. And in my humility, I recognize that in my weakness, I can have all of God's strength. Psalm 37 speaks to the believer a powerful message about the future. This psalm is wonderful. It speaks of the last day of all things, the day of the Lord, as it's called over and over and over in the Old Testament. That there's a day, the final day of history, because history is, has a shelf life, and at the end of all things, it's called the day of the Lord. God is going to rule this world, and he is going to deal with evil and darkness. He's going to deal with it firmly and righteously and properly. History will come to an end. God's kingdom will finally come. The earth will be renewed. The heavens will be renewed. We will be made perfect who have put our trust in Jesus Christ. Evil will be done away with properly. Sin will be judged righteously. The day of the Lord was the hope of God's people in the Old Testament. They longed for the day of the Lord. Lord, come. Come now. You hear Christians say, come Lord Jesus because we want him to come back and wrap up this history that is so often fraught with fear and danger. And I read Psalm 37 this week, and I have to be honest, I found it just amazing. And you may not, well, hopefully you will find it amazing. But I read this on Thursday, which I think was a day or, after, day or so after um, the invasion by the Russians in the Ukraine. And I want to read it all to you. It's kind of long, but it is God's word, so it's worth listening to over me waffling on. But it's God's word. And this is what Jesus points us to in this beatitude. And it's almost like it's written for our friends in the Ukraine. But I believe it's written for all of us because we all face an aggressor one way or another. Let me read it to you. You can follow along if you want. This is Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil. Or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when evil people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. 
But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are right. But their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of the many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not writhe. Wither, sorry. Uh, in days of famine, they will enjoy plenty, but the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers in the field, they will be consumed and they will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, and those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. The Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and I am now old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just, and he will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Hope in the Lord and keep his ways. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. But he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless and observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no more future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He will be their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. I just thought that was wonderful when I read that on Wednesday or Thursday. It's almost like it's written for the Ukraine. God will deal with those who are evil one day, the day of the Lord. The meek will inherit the earth because they put their trust in the one who rules over all history. It hurts in the short term, but hope will last for eternity. And so today, whatever battle you may be fighting, it won't be the same as what's happening in the Ukraine but don't battle in your strength anymore. Acknowledge that only God is strong, that you are actually weak. Cling to him with that knowledge. Cry out to him in honesty, hope in him with all your heart. And if anyone is watching at some point or in the room with us, with any form of Ukrainian heritage or friends, hear the word of the Lord. Do not fret, but hope in the Lord. And I want to say to anyone watching who is from the Ukraine or the surrounding nations, we love you, we stand with you, and we are praying for you. So be strong in these difficult days. 
Christ is coming soon. Shall we pray? Father, we lift up, Lord, just everything we've said this morning. Lord, we've sung loudly, we've put our arms in the air, lifted our hearts, we've clapped, we've, Lord, we've responded to you, Lord. And we've come to your word and we've heard that promise, Lord, to live differently, to be meek, to be humble. Father, this world is full of aggressors, full of those who take what's not theirs. Lord, who don't care the cost to the victim. We pray against them in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, Christians are not weak. We of all people have the strongest sense of justice. But Lord, we just happen to have the strongest sense of grace. So as we pray for justice to be done, we pray for the salvation of every soul, including those who are evil. So Lord, I have no shame in praying for the salvation of Vladimir Putin and his cronies in the Kremlin. We pray, Lord, for your grace to strike them, that they may repent of their terrible sin and turn from this evil. But Lord, we also pray for justice. Lord, for righteous acts to occur on the ground. Lord, from within the Ukraine and Lord, its neighbours and its allies across the world. But Lord, that prayer we, we send to every nation, every people group, every family, every person struggling, Lord, with some form of pain. Lord, for all of us in this room, Lord, who may be facing an attack of things like addiction or regret or fear or aggression or bitterness, Lord, may we push back, Lord, not in our strength, but, Lord, in that humble trust of you. And, Father, I want to thank you that there is a day of the Lord coming, that your Son will return in glory and triumph. And on that day, Lord, when our strength fades, Lord, when everything, Lord, seems so lost, you will wrap up history, and, Lord, the kingdom will come, and you will rule forever and ever and ever and ever, and there will not be one moment of darkness anywhere in that life. And for that hope, Lord, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.